All right, everybody. Welcome to Learning the Tropes. I'm Erin. I'm Clayton. And I'm your women's salvo veteran. And I'm the Virgin. And these are the last Bridgerton episodes. Season two. Today, we're going to be talking about episode seven, Harmony, and episode eight, The Viscount Who Loved Me. Yes. And if you listen to our previous episode, talking about the last two episodes, we kind of were questioning, oh, how are they going to stretch these out? Because it felt like we were coming to an end of Anthony and Kate's story. But it turns out that these two episodes are really more the Lady Whistledown show than mm-hmm. the Kate and Anthony show. Yeah, I think I think the thing that needed to happen is I think it would have been really difficult to go from Anthony being jilted at the altar by Edwina and then basically like the next day them being like, oh, we're in love. Because mm-hmm. I, you know, I kind of realized we're watching these episodes is like they both have a lot of their own shit to work through first. Yes. You know, that I think each of them had to do on their own to be able to come together. And I think it's good that the catalysts are like knowing each other, wanting to create that space in their life is what made them want to do more of this inner work, what made them realize they had to do this work. Mm -hmm. So ultimately I genuinely really enjoyed these two episodes they were like super engaging, fun, think like moved at a pretty fast pace, I felt, which I don't know <laughs> feel. And so I I thought these were great. Yeah, a lot about Wilson Downs. Should we start with um with episode seven? Yes. Which so that starts-, starts with the <laughs> yeah. queen pulling mm-hmm. Eloise into her carriage and saying, Listen, I know your lady whistle down. Yeah. And because the queen is so yeah. smart. <laughs> Here's something that happened this episode that I did find interesting. So basically that Eloise goes and tells Penelope, the queen thinks I'm bridge, uh, whistled down. Maybe I should tell her I am. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to prove I'm not. I have to find her. And so that sends Pen over to Madame Delacroix to kind of talk through what needs to happen next. And Madame Delacroix is like, why don't you just, like, say some good things about the queen? And then she'll kind of, like, get over this. Like, she'll be happy. And Penelope's like, I can't think of anything good to say about the queen. And I was like, is Penelope an anti-monarchist? If so, welcome. (laughs) Then that's wonderful. Yeah. And I liked, I'm like, maybe we've spent all this time, like, criticizing the queen. And she's supposed to look like a buffoon. You know? Oh, yeah. I mean, definitely. I mean. I do think that the queen is supposed to be petty and yeah. foolish because there is later, and I'm not sure if it's in the this episode or the next episode, where she's basically snorting coke, right? No, that's like that's like snuff. So it's something that they like. It's not cocaine. It's something else that they had back in the day. But it made her talk pretty rapidly. <laughs> Sure. I mean, we could just say it's cocaine, I guess. (laughs) Well, it's some sort of – it feels like it's some sort of uh, personality-altering drug. Not personality-altering, but uh, it's, you know, a stimulant of some sort that she is doing. And I don't know if it's – I don't know the history enough to know if it is something that people are 
just doing in the open or it's one of those things where it's like, you know, rich people do it in secret. And if you're with them, like you don't talk about it, but it's okay if they do it like cocaine. And so it does show her, you know, relying on a substance. And I think we all interpret it as cocaine. And I think there's no other way to interpret it as Something that, you know, if you're having a drink of wine sitting next to me and I'm snorting something up my nose, we're at different levels of, (laughs) you know, let's enjoy ourselves. So I think there's that level to her, too. And, yeah, you're right. I think she is supposed to be petty, but we don't like the fact that she is even existing and pulling the strings as petty as she might be. Yes, I agree. I think it's hard to understand what we are supposed to feel about the queen, you know, because like, obviously, she's very petty. But like, she's stupid is the other thing. But it's like, are we supposed to think that she's stupid? Like, are mm-hmm. you, is it just is she just like, a, is she just a buffoon? I mean, in that case, like, okay, I still don't like all this diamond stuff. I do find her tedious. But, like, I guess if we're just supposed to be laughing at her and thinking she's stupid and very ba- – I mean, she is very bad at being a monarch, then okay. I Then yeah. I guess I don't hate it as much. If that's what we're supposed to think, then fine. Okay. Is she the equivalent of the boss at work – in a workplace show where you're like, oh, well, that's the boss and they suck and we just have to deal with what they say and do. Right. Is she Steve Carell? Yeah, I was going to say that, but it's like Steve Carell. I mean, I'm no fan of the American office, but uh, and I think tonally talk about a show that tonally never knew what it wanted to be. Is it a cartoon or is it, you know, is it a docudrama? Is it, you know, is it, it's just so weirdly written, especially his character. But you were supposed to have warm feelings for him. And I guess the queen is supposed to invoke warm feelings because she's in a bad situation because of her husband. And again, if you've listened to the previous episodes, that does not work for me. So I just don't feel anything but annoyance about the queen. Yeah. I, I mean, there's something about the way that they, like the creators talk about the queen that she is supposed to be this like positive character. And it's like, mm-hmm. she's very much, she's very much not. She's very much an awful human being, like petty, vicious, like that, that she turns this thing into a game, but you know, all royalty are. So yeah, she's like, I'll ruin you and your family if you don't. I think, like, she threatens Eloise. Yeah, she threatens, yeah. Because, uh, oh, no, this is this happens later. But so, uh, what else happens? So Colin is, so the Featheringtons, I'm loving this whole storyline of them and these fake dime, and these fake stones. Mm-hmm. And... So they are creating a scheme to sell counterfeits to all of the Don, which is such a fantastically harebrained scheme of like one person will find out and then you're fucked. Because but they're I glass. They're freaking they're, glass. I know. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. They're, yeah. They're glass. And I also get that like, if you bought 
something from a friend or a neighbor or like a colleague, you wouldn't necessarily be like, I wonder if this is real or not. Like you would just kind of be like, okay, this must be actually rubies or whatever. Yeah. Well, Um, I mean, they're leveraging their family name in order to do this, which is completely uh dangerous because if you're found out, you're screwed. Yeah. And I'm loving Portia Featherington. I just as a character, I just find her wonderful. I think she's like super sexy. I love the whole like her sexual tension between her and Lauren Featherington. Like, I love it all. They're trying to get Colin taken into like, I like them setting up Colin. It's just being like, it's pretty gullible. And so they're bringing Colin into the scheme. I like that Portia also has no problem. Like last season, she tried to trap him into a marriage and this season she's trying to steal his money. And the blatant disregard that Featherington has for the Bridgertons is great. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's fantastic. I think that's all for like the B stories. I mean, Benedict is still at art school doing his thing, arting it up. In the next episode, they show one of his paintings that I was like, oh, it's not very good. And then the person he's with is like, oh, that's fantastic. I was like, oh, it's good. It's supposed to be good. Yeah. So then the A story. So Kate and Anthony. So basically their families are trying to save face. They try to go out in public. Everybody keeps giving them the cut direct. And it's bad news bears. And so they put together this scheme to throw a ball together to show that like, oh, actually this was like a mutual decision. Like everything's cool, cool, cool between us. Um, like, and don't it's worry. barely a scheme. Like it's, it's yeah. like, let's have an expensive party and hope everybody has a good enough time that they forget. I mean, it's, it, that's yeah. what, like, let's just buy our way out of the situation. Exactly. And nobody shows up. Nobody shows up, but what I do love is, you know, they're there, they're alone. The the orchestra is like, should we, like, bother or what? And Anthony's like, no, play, calls down Hyacinth and Gregory, and they all end up dancing together. And it is this moment of, like, levity and fun and seeing all these people, like, interact and have a good time that is – like necessary like you need a bit of like you need a little bit of a pick-me-up you want to see oh i get why these people like to be around each other because they like to have fun but so one of the reasons and i think the main reason nobody shows up to the party is because lady whistledown has written that eloise is congregating with some bad types so Mm -hmm. basically i guess anti-monarchs or whatever that what, what was what was that group that theo was part of did they name the group i think it's just I, like labor organizers yeah probably just people yeah. that aren't yeah that are yeah just and like so, radicals and stuff yeah rebels which to me is like i get the uh, uh the idea of I'm going to write something bad about Eloise because then the queen will be like, it's definitely not Eloise. But it seems like such an immediate reaction to it that I would still smell a rat if I was the queen. Because it's like, all right, so I said that it's you and then you're going to write this thing about yourself. That would, to me, smell like a rat because she still thinks it's Eloise. 
So I yes. wouldn't, as the queen, be like, well, it can't be her because she immediately reacted to what I said. Right. All, but what we're forgetting is the queen is stupid. True. Yeah. Yeah. So there's that part. After the so something that's interesting is like Kate and Anthony keep like getting lost in each other's eyes and all these different moments and stuff. And I do love it. Dwayne keeps being like, "Was I that dumb? How did I not see this?" Yeah, because she the mentions she's like, "We can have the ball and." They've done such a good job of hiding it so they can continue to hide it. And everybody looks at her like, girl, you're the only one who didn't see this. Yeah. And so then they do it right in front of her because the dog comes in and does some stupid dog bullshit. And then they look each other in the eyes and and Edwina's like, oh, I'm an idiot. I feel so dumb. (laughs) Yeah, I loved that. After the ball that never was... Kate and Anthony find each other in like a pergola and fuck it out, which was was very sexy and I loved it and it was amazing. But then she leaves and gets on her horse and it's raining and and he's he's going after her and her horse bucks back and she falls off the horse and clunks her head and she's out she's in a coma and that's the cliffhanger that's well first anthony shows up at her house with a ring wanting to. oh yes yes and i think she assumes he's doing it out of obligation which obviously nobody wants to get proposed to out of obligation and Uh, not so fast i don't think it'd be a problem (laughs) for me he uh we all know as the viewer that this is very much not obligation, but um, yeah. So she rides off and as soon as she was, I mean, riding in the rain one as a horsewoman is it is a psychotic thing to do. Like that horse yes. is going to break a leg and we're going to have to shoot that horse. Um, thankfully that doesn't happen. But as soon as she was like trying to take that jump in the rain, I was like, girl, she fell gonks her head and then Anthony is the one to take her to to Danbury's house. I got to say, I fucking loved it. So melodramatic. So over the top. A convenient mm-hmm. coma where she stays looking absolutely gorgeous the whole time. Loved it. <laughs> That's a great trope. The convenient coma. Yes. And it's like nobody thought she, like she she wasn't bleeding. Like she was bleeding from the head. But not that much that like she did it sleep on snow white pillows and didn't have to like get part of her head shaved in order to like yeah yeah put yeah in stitches like it's it kind of dried up on its own she's fine she stays looking pristine she was just like a little like a snow white just laying there waiting to be kissed exactly i list i loved it and i know it's like that was so tropey obviously we love tropes here and i just thought that, that was really fun and a nod to all of the 90% breakups that we've read or like the big thing to happen. If this was a clay pass adaptation, somebody would have got kidnapped. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, yeah, I, I thought that was great. And then, so Anthony kind of is stressed out with her being in a coma and can't bring himself to visit her, which I also really liked. Like, he probably has admitted within himself that he loves her, but can't bring himself to 
say it or really feel it fully within his body. And so he just retreats and closes down and is like yelling at his siblings um, Mm -hmm. and being generally a bear to everybody. Well, but when Colin is like, when Anthony calls out Colin for taking a sum of money to invest in the fake diamonds or the fake uh-huh. jewels, which we know Colin kind of knew what was going on and, and was in on, <clears throat> knew that it was a fraud and was just trying to trap him. So we find that out later. But mm-hmm. at the time when Anthony's like, you took out all this money, what's the deal? Colin acts like, well, I have to run everything by you. It's like, yeah, because you took a ton <laughs> of money and you're investing it with this freaking sleaze. Like, that to me felt like, Colin, calm down, buddy. You need to tell your head of the household that you're taking out a giant lump of money. Right, because it's the family's money for the family. It's not like, like, I'm sure each of the siblings have their own money somehow, but like, Anyway, Colin seems to have taken from the family coffers, which, like, is a no-no. And then Benedict says that Colin's only 21, which is crazy because that would make Daphne, like, 19 or 20, which uh-huh. seems so young. But Daphne looks like she's about three. She looks yeah, like, or yeah. like a solid seven-year-old. Um, yes. Anyway. Yeah, so wait. So there's a lot this time. So Kate is sick in bed. Oh, Theo lets... Eloise know that he was the print shop for Whistledown, like officially mm-hmm. tells her to kind of help her on her search, um, which is a great moment. And then he narks, oh, did- he gives her all the information that he knows, which is he doesn't yeah. know the identity, but he knows her schedule and mm-hmm. how how the the they you know how the information came to him and whatnot. Yeah. And then uh, Danbury and the Queen talk. The Queen is still pissed about the wedding. And I do love Danbury is finally like, what if we gave a shit about anything else? What do you well, think? That This is this scene was, and we talked about it a little bit earlier when she's snorting uh, uh, cocaine. Yeah. Is, is the scene that really, I think, cemented that she is supposed to be a buffoon and trying to just keep her mind off her, it, her real duties and i think her husband and she's like is anybody else going to get married soon uh Mm -hmm. is there anything else that i can focus on and i think that is the point is that she's searching for things to do because she's having a hard time personally yes yeah i mean doesn't make me like her again but like fine yeah because i think in the first season and the first half of the season they were trying to have the queen be this like isn't she amazing and isn't she so smart and quippy and doesn't she have everybody's number? And it's like, I finally, I think the veil is dropping in these episodes and we're like, no, she's stupid and petty. And and also um, it's like, isn't Dan, uh, Danbury supposed to be that lady Danbury supposed to be the one who is tapped in, mm-hmm. doesn't have much else to do, but she has a rough exterior, but everybody kind of likes her. She's in the know. And that's the character that is rootable because they're not mm-hmm. the queen. Exactly. Like, that's the thing is, like, the queen is redundant in that way. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, we Danbury, who is, like, such a strong character, like, so watchable, so interesting, like, has motivations, feels like an actual human being. Like, it's, we, yeah, I agree that you, they've kind of outsourced that. Yeah. Um, then Kate wakes up. She just flutters her beautiful eyes. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. And is awake. Perfect. Uh, Violet comes to tell Anthony that she's awake and Anthony. I mean, the way that Jonathan Bailey played this scene, I will say was gorgeous where he just like is so relieved and starts crying mm-hmm. because he's like been holding it in so long. And then he and Violet have that conversation of where she's basically like, even though my husband died, I would still do it again and again because it was like the time I spent with him was so worth it. Yes. Yeah, she she says, "Don't don't let anything stop you from the love of your life." Mm-hmm. Paraphrasing. Yeah, but I I thought that was a really beautiful scene, and I do like how flawed Violet is, and how, you know, because I think in the books she's really shown as being just like basically this perfect woman and this perfect mother who loves all of her children and is perfect. And I like that in the series, it's like, no, she kind of really dropped the ball severely. And she has a lot of guilt about dropping the ball and and is trying to work those, those feelings. I don't know. I like that. I think that's really interesting. I think that's more human. Yep. <laughs> um, so then when Eloise uh, confronts Madame Delacroix. Great. Penelope happens to walk in. Penelope is has not been allowed to see Eloise because of what Lady Bustledown said. Mm-hmm. And I was like, couldn't Penelope, like, if it's your best friend and neighbor, like, couldn't you find a way to sneak in? Like, you know? Yeah. There's been many. Like, I mean, there's, yeah, you know. Maybe not, like, officially call on her, but it's, like, just, like, go up a servant's stairs and just, like, hang out in her bedroom or something. There's got to be so many entrances to these places. They can't all be guarded. Yeah. Or it's like you just need to not have your mother see. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know what I mean? Like, it doesn't matter if anyone else sees. Um, but I do think that, like, Penelope is suffering from overwhelming guilt. And that's why she hasn't been fighting kind of staying away. And again, we've mentioned this previously. Penelope doing an awful job of hiding the fact that she is whistled down because of her absolute total freakouts anytime the idea of whistle down is mentioned. She can't handle herself. She's like, no, whistle down is perfect. Just don't talk about her. Yeah. And and she just freaks out and she's just manic and all this stuff. And then it's so funny because when so Penelope, I'm sorry, Eloise cuts things off with Theo. And uh, which sucks because they they like each other, but she mm-hmm. feels like she can't be around him anymore. And then when they're at the Featherington party, because the Featheringtons throw a, a party and they kind of patch things up, Penelope and Eloise. And then Penelope starts just gossiping. Right in front of her and being so obviously speaking in the the voice of Lady Whistledown that finally Eloise wakes up and looks at her friend and is like, oh, you're Lady Whistledown. <laughs> obviously. And it took yeah. so long. And she's so – Penelope has done such a bad job of hiding this mm-hmm. that I was like, oh, finally. Like Eloise cannot be an idiot and Penelope is getting called out on her bullshit. That's great. And then Eloise goes into Penelope because they're at the feather. It's the Featherington ball because it's at the Featherington's house. And yeah. Eloise goes up into Penelope's room and absolutely trashes it and finds all of her um, whistle down money. 
and confronts her. And I was enthralled by that scene. I must say, I did not know if she was going to confess or not. And I was like stressed out. She does confess to being whistled down. So now Eloise knows. Yeah. And we don't know if Eloise is going to tell anybody or sort of how Eloise is going to move forward with that information. Well, she, the, definitely the friendship is broken at this point, yeah. you know, that we know that for sure. But yeah, we don't know what the reverberations are, but it seems that this is only steeled Penelope to come back. Cause she had gone away after she wrote about Eloise and now she was going, she's going to, you know, continue to write which is the very yeah. last thing we see. So the last thing that we well, let's keep going and then we'll talk about like sort of how everything wraps up, maybe. Okay. Oh, we Benedict finds out that Anthony gave money in order for him to join the academy. And we're not really surprised. Benedict is shocked and leaves the mm-hmm. academy. Yeah. Um, Anthony, after the conversation with his mom, has decided to propose to Kate to go see her to to try to kind of confess that he loves her. He doesn't get that far. Something that I love is like, I always pay attention to costumes because I okay. worked for a second at, in the costume department of Ugly Betty. Okay. Which was really fun. And something about that's interesting is like when Kate was falling in love with Anthony, she was wearing Bridgerton blue all the time. And then once it kind of broke apart, she's wearing these like royal colors. She's wearing like a lot of purples and bright pinks. And when Anthony shows up to propose to her, he's wearing purple and he's mirroring her colors as opposed to like her mirroring his. And when oh. she rejects him, she he is is mirroring her. So you know that mm-hmm. she has the control in the relationship at that stage. I think it's interesting and I love when clearly somebody is thinking about color in that level of presentation, which I think is really cool. Yes, that is interesting. Something I would never have noticed. <laughs> Listen, I'm always, I'm always has my eye on like who's matching, who isn't matching, who's wearing someone else. Like every character has like all the Bridgertons are blue always. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that kind of stuff works on an unconscious level that I yeah. do understand it. It, it. it brings, you know, uh, no pun intended, color to the scene. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the best way. Like, if you don't notice it, if you're not looking for it, that's the best kind of costuming. Oh, I mean, I think it's subtle enough that, like, I don't – like, if it wasn't that it's something that I always pay attention to, I I don't – it doesn't hit you over the head. But it's, like, a subtle way to be, like, oh, they're together or they're not. Like, they're apart. Yeah. Like, mark my words, Colin will be wearing yellow during his season while courting Penelope. Yeah, you're right. You know? Um, Which, I mean, that's just real quick to mention that. So Colin is hanging out with his bros, and right after Eloise breaks off her friendship with Penelope, Penelope hears Colin say, I would never court Penelope. Mm -hmm. And it just feels like, oh, she's just getting bashed left and right. Yeah, that was heartbreaking. I mean, and that's also why I think next season is going to be Colin and Penelope's, because as we know, that's the start of her book, Mm -hmm. is overhearing Colin say that he would never be with her. Yeah, yeah. So that is definitely setting that up. Yeah. 
Um, oh, so Anthony proposes to Kate, kind of. He half proposes, and she's like, no, I'm moving to India uh, as soon as I can get forgiveness from my family. Like, I'm gone. And he kind of feels like that's a rejection of him as well, and so kind of nothing happens in that scene. Yeah, Theo and Eloise break up. We already talked about. That was sweet. You know, he kind of calls her out on, like, you're just kind of slumming it for fun, which I think was unfair. And I do think Eloise, like, does hold these beliefs, but is an incredibly sheltered, wealthy woman and doesn't necessarily know how to, like, move forward with that information. Mm-hmm. Like, she spends a lot of time complaining about shit. She spends no time doing shit. And I think, which is normal. <laughs> Yeah. Which is like, which makes sense for her character. And so I do like if we're going to get like kind of a more radical Eloise or we're going to have her start doing things. I think Theo, I don't think this is the last of Theo. And I think like he will be the way in for her to, to maybe start like really messing stuff up. Yeah. And Penelope nails Eloise on that, too. She says, you are jealous of me. Because mm-hmm. I did something. You have all these plans and all these aspirations and you do nothing. Yeah. And I created something. And that yeah. hits Eloise where where it hurts. Like that I think is Eloise understands that and doesn't like that about herself. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because that's the issue. I mean, they have to kind of radically change Penelope and Colin's book anyway because like the main problem in that book is like, Eloise is overshining Colin and Colin hates it, which I think I do want to see a little bit, but I don't think that could carry eight episodes, you know, like I think mm-hmm. there needs to be other things going on, obviously. Um, but it's interesting that Eloise is taking the place of that emotional uh, conversation <clears throat> yeah. for Colin in this episode, which is interesting. And I think it's, it's good. And then, I think, I mean, I think friendship breaks up, breakups and especially like female friendship breakups are starting to be more in the culture. Like we're seeing them more. I think that they can be such a like a, a leveling experience for, for women. I don't know. I'm only a woman, so I can only talk from like that point of view of how difficult it is. So it's like I am interested to see how it plays out, how they deal with the fallout of everything, especially if she starts dating Eloise's brother. <laughs> <laughs> which just adds the stakes and the drama, which like, listen, that's what we're here for. Edwina and Kate make up basically, which is sweet. You know, it was the old coma makes me rethink my feelings about you. And therefore I forgive you. That's why we love a coma. Convenient coma. Um, Eloise and Benedict are back on the swings together, which is very sweet. Yeah, and the two that feel kind of out of, I mean, I think everybody secretly feels out of place in this family, but I think the two of them kind of like hold on to each other as far as like where they would be if they wanted, if they could be someplace different. Yeah, absolutely. We have uh. Colin calling out uh, Lord Featherington about the fake glass jewels. Yeah. And he says, and then, he says to Lady Featherington, like, let's run away now. Let's, let's Lord Featherington Lord says, Fe- yeah. yeah. Well, Colin doesn't realize that the, that Portia is in on the scam. No, he thinks it's just the Lord. 
Yeah, exactly. So that's really helpful for Portia because she's like, what? I had no idea that this was happening and gets to really claim innocence. And then we see the turn where she is basically says to him, like, I'm pinning everything on you. I'm keeping the money. There's nothing you can do about it. Bye. And that came about that came about because he wanted to leave without her daughters. Uh huh. And she thought not without my daughters. So <laughs> that's what made her be like, this guy's too much of a scumbag, even for me. Mm-hmm. And so she double crosses him and makes money off him and says, you're going back on the next boat or whatever. And you're going to have exactly what you had when you came, which was nothing. Perfect. Yeah. Loved it. What a season for Portia Featherington. She's amazing. She's a star. Um, prior to the Featherington Ball, Gregory and Anthony have a nice scene where they talk about Edmund. And I think Anthony realizes him trying to grieve for all of his siblings and his mother, trying to take on all of that pain, has really been robbing them of the experience of knowing their father, especially, I think, for Hyacinth and Gregory, who, who have no memory of him. And I thought that was a really beautiful scene. And we kind of see that Anthony has started at least to move past the death of his father, you know. Um, and then Mary and Kate have a scene where Kate is still packing for for uh, India. And Kate comes in and basically is like, I legitimately cried during this scene. <laughs> I thought it was so beautiful in that, you know, Kate has always felt kind of like a less than or that she owes a lot to Mary because Mary was so kind to her. And just having Mary say to her, like, oh, you're worthy of of love just because of who you are. And I just loved you because of who you were, who you are. And that's all you have to be. You don't have to save us as a family. You don't have to do or be anything. I just love you because you're you. I lost it. <laughs> I thought that was so beautiful. I know that's the thing everybody wants to hear. And it was so beautiful. And I think I love when there are positive depictions of step parents and stepchildren, because I think those can be really beautiful relationships. And a lot of times they're shown as being so antagonistic, but like there's genuine so much love between the two of them. And I thought that it was really beautiful. Um, and then the very end, we've got... Kate, yeah, yeah. you got Kate and Anthony. Anthony comes and says that I love you. You vex me. I've always thought of, you know, I've always loved you. Every dance, all that. Oh, well, they do Mm -hmm. do another dance to an orchestral version of Wrecking Ball by Miley Cyrus. Some real millennial bullshit, which is what I call (laughs) this stuff. And I still love it. It's uh, they got me. I hate it. I hate it so 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 much I know you do. and I know. then they, they dance again kind of like they danced before that was getting a little bit i mean it's like we've seen them dance before okay we're hitting the same beat and they're about to kiss and then they don't and then at the end of the party the you know they kiss he asks her to marry him she says yes the fireworks go off and then they spend uh uh you know they get they get married and they're spending the night together. The next time we see them is like they're in bed and they're keeping the family waiting. And then they all yeah, run they down. they are married at that stage. Yeah. And so then they all run down and they start playing 
it's it's not croquet. It's the uh, what's it called in this time? Oh, I don't. It's croquet. It's whatever they call it then. But didn't they have a name for it? There's a name that they they do have a name for it, but I can't remember. What okay, it is. yeah, yeah. So that that anyway, that's the end of the show. Other than what we always mentioned is the show ends with Penelope bringing out her paper and her quill and thing and saying. I'm back. Well, the thing that's interesting that I am interested in is why they did this is the vo- like the wrap up voiceover because like we haven't heard from Lady Whistledown like most of this episode, and then we hear and it's Penelope, it's Nicola Coughlin's voice like saying the wrap up, and I'm like, oh, that's so interesting. Like now that it's been revealed to Eloise, like Nicola Coughlin is going to be the one doing the voiceover because Whistledown is we know it's her like really officially or like other people know at this stage or I don't, I don't, I was interested. I was like, Oh, this is interesting. And so it's her kind of talking about like being alone and what loneliness means and, and go and being quiet. And then it switches back to Julie Andrews when she starts writing, like, actually I'm back. And I was like, Okay, listen, I love Julie Andrews more than anything in the world, so I'm not going to ever complain about hearing Julie Andrews' voice. But I do, I, I found, I didn't really understand, like, what that was supposed to be. Like, her, her reclaiming the whistle-down voice Yes. Something? Well, here's the thing about the Julie Andrews' voice, because I've given this thought, is yeah. that that's how the town perceives her. And it's a different persona. It's the persona she hides behind. It's her armor. Mm-hmm. And that was her, you exactly nailed it, reclaiming that and saying, I'm going to be this again. And it's a, it, it's, that's her Batman. You know, she's Bruce Wayne and oh, that's okay. Batman. And so Batman has a different voice, has the growly voice. And that's what she does is she's like, this is a different persona that I put on once I start being Lady Whistledown. And so that's why the voice changed because Penelope doesn't have power, but Lady Whistledown does. Gotcha. Okay. You can tell the the difference between Penelope's voice and Julie Andrews' voice, you know, (laughs) is really. (laughs) Oh, sorry. I just went through puberty. (laughs) <laughs> is is really different, you know? Because mm-hmm. the one voice you'd listen to, the other voice doesn't get listened to. Yeah. Got, okay, cool. That makes sense. That's good. Yeah, so we have the wrap-up. We have the, the, the game. They fight over the mallet. Who, who gets the mallet of death? They're, like, all lovey-dovey in front of their families. As a Catholic New Englander, I did find that to be hard to stomach, the idea of PDA in front of family members. <laughs> um, but they are into it. They're very much in love. And, yeah, that's all she wrote. So should we do, like, a like a general wrap-up of season two? I mean, I think we can both say I enjoyed it more than season one. Yeah, I, I mean, <clears throat> I definitely enjoyed it more than season one, but I still d- don't like the show. <laughs> yeah. I still feel like when the, uh, season three, the wait can't be long enough. 
I think I know that they've been I think they might be done writing it. I have like a little birdie that is like close to production. And so like I they and I think they're filming this summer. I don't know. I'm I'm in. Honestly, I did not obviously you know, we talked about it. Did I hated the first episode. I think it grew on me from there. I think a lot of that has to do with um Simone Ashley who played Kate and Jonathan Bailey who played um Anthony and I think having really strong central actors is important to a TV show which is a radical thought I guess yeah if there's any other pieces of media that you guys want us to talk about let us know we do I mean we should start actually writing down a list because we definitely have season two of Starstruck we still need to watch Morning Glory with Christopher Reeve Milk Money and The Lost City. I, the Lost City, I think with The Lost City comes on VOD or on one of the streaming services, we'll do Lost City so you guys can watch that. But if you haven't seen Lost City and you're a romance fan, pay to go see it in theaters if you're comfortable, obviously. It's really worth it. Like the short of it is we both are giant fans. And all right, I guess that's everything. Happy watching. Bye guys. <laughs>